Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. God will never leave them or forsake them, but God says if you forsake me, I'm not going to force myself on you. I'll forsake you. That's why they've gone after other gods. In other words, they brought this on themselves. They have only themselves to blame. The blame for this cannot be laid on the Lord. This is on them. And it's the Gentile nation saying this. It's the non-believer saying this of the believer. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Jeremiah. When bad things happen to us, oftentimes the first person we blame is God. Non-Christians in our lives may even wonder, why would God let this happen to them? Aren't they Christians? As Pastor J.D. teaches us today, God sometimes allows tragedies to happen to us to correct us and bring us back to Him. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Jeremiah chapter 22 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Father in heaven, thank you so much. God, you need to now settle us down and settle our hearts and quiet our minds so that we can focus and concentrate and give you our undivided attention. So many things clamoring for our attention in this crazy world that we're living in. Lord, please don't let that happen. Don't let our minds wander. Don't let those distractions take us away or keep us away from that which you have for us. Lord, we're just posturing ourselves before you as a hungry and thirsty people, knowing that only you can satiate that hunger and that thirst that we have. And we're looking to you to do that, especially for those who are really struggling and hurting and weary and heavy laden. Lord, we come to you as you said to. And Lord, we know that you give us rest for our souls. So thank you, Lord, in advance for what you're going to do in our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so the chapter before us could be rightfully read and even spoken to corrupt world leaders today, not that they would listen, but it could be. Even though this was written for them then, it is so apropos for us today, as we're going to see. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, is going to speak this word now to these kings. These were evil kings that did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And we're going to see specifically what that evil was. And chiefly it was that they oppressed the people, defrauded the people. And as I approach teaching like this I always like to ask myself a question. I think it's a question that needs to be asked and answered concerning every passage of Scripture. And that question is, why is this in our Bibles? I mean, there's going to be a couple places in this chapter where you're going to be like, okay, well, that's not a life verse. I don't have this verse on my wall or wallpaper. And why is this here? And we know that every word in God's Word is inspired and it's there for a reason. So Lord, what is that reason? Why do I need to know this? 
And here's the answer to the question, at least as it relates to this chapter. As I pondered and prepared my heart, it just seemed, as the Lord ministered to my heart, that this was not so much for the corrupt leaders. Oh, it's certainly for them. But actually it could be more so for those whom these corrupt leaders oppressed, to encourage them, because they were being crushed under the weight of the rank corruption of that day. And that doesn't even begin to express it. That's an understatement in every sense of the word. The corruption was so bad, it was so evil. And so I say that by way of an introduction to say this. I hope and pray that will be a great encouragement, especially as it relates to God having the final word concerning the evil and the corruption of our day. I think that's the takeaway for us. And I know I've shared this very candidly, and we'll get started here in a moment, but real quick. I've shared this very candidly over the years, how that this settles me and even keeps me sane, knowing that the perpetrators of the most evil corruption in this world today, they're not going to get away with it. Oh, they might think they're going to get away with it. They're not going to get away with it. God is going to settle the score, as we say. God is going to have the final word. And I think it's more, if you will, and we're going to see this a little bit in First Peter, it's really to encourage these battle-weary believers who were suffering extreme, and I mean extreme persecution, in Peter's day, the early church under Caesar Nero. And I think much can be said about the similarities in Jeremiah's day, and certainly fast forward to our day, this is a word fitly spoken. So I would like for us to, as we go through this chapter, do so through that lens, that this is God's way of saying to us, you just hang on, <laughs> I'm going to take care of it. Yeah, but do you see what they're doing? I, I, I'll take care of this. So you ready? Verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Go down to the house of the king of Judah, and there speak this word and say, verse 2, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, Execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong, and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Okay, first three verses. With specificity, describe just how corrupt these leaders were politically, governmentally, religiously, across the board, on every level. Let's go through this, if you don't mind, just real quick. Righteousness, they were unrighteous. Deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor, they were oppressing. Do no wrong, they were doing wrong. Do no violence, they were very violent. And not only were they very violent, notice who they were very violent to and with. 
the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, the innocent. God takes notice. God doesn't just take notice. He will avenge them. He will take and mete out a just judgment against them for doing this to these people. And that's what we're going to see. And by the way, again, and we've talked about this in prior chapters here in Jeremiah, if you don't get it at this point, then the rest of the chapter is going to be seen through a very wrong lens of interpretation, because it will seem as though God's judgment is disproportionate. It will seem unjust, because it's going to get pretty intense, as we're going to see. Verse 4, this is God's mercy here. For if you indeed do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit on the throne of David. But, verse 5, if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself. I mean, he's God. Who's he going to swear by? Himself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. Again, this is God's mercy. He's wanting these corrupt leaders to repent, and in so doing, He's giving them a choice. And you would think that this would be a no-brainer. Prosperity, blessing, an heir sitting on the throne of David. Okay, that's choice A. Choice B, desolation, devastation. Um, wait, don't tell me. I'll take blessing, prosperity, the throne of David. I don't want desolation, devastation. Sadly, they would choose the latter. For thus says the Lord, verse 6, to the house of the king of Judah, You are Gilead to me, the head of Lebanon. This was the most valuable and beautiful area in the land. The cedar trees, the flourishing forests, and God is likening His people to Gilead. You're like that to me, beautiful and valuable, yet, oh, I wish that word wasn't there, I surely will make you a wilderness, cities which are not inhabited. I will prepare, verse 7, destroyers against you. See what I mean about the lens? You're going to send destroyers against us? Yeah. This is just. Wait a minute. This seems disproportionate. Well, we need to go back then. Don't make me go back to verses 1, one through 3. I will prepare destroyers against you, everyone with his weapons. They shall cut down your choice cedars and cast them into the fire. As we'll see next, when God does this, and God does this, it would send the same message, but in a very different way, to the surrounding nations. Verse 8, and many nations will pass by this city, and everyone will say to his neighbor, why has the Lord done so to this great city? Then they will answer, because they, speaking of Judah, have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God. 
These are the Gentile nations saying this about God's people. Oh, why is God bringing such desolation and devastation and destruction to this, His city? Answer, because they, God's people, have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshiped other gods and served them. Wait a minute. (laughs) These are the other nations saying that about God's people. That's an indictment. Now we need a geography lesson here, just bear with me. I want you to picture in your mind's eye a map of the world. And the center of that world, sorry to break it to you, is not America. Israel is the center. I want you to picture in your mind's eye this map now. You got this little sliver. (laughs) In fact, it's so small on the world map that they actually have to put the word Israel out into the Mediterranean Sea with a line so you can say, that's Israel right there. You don't have to do that for Europe, Asia, or Africa. I mean, Israel, Europe, Africa, Asia, all around the bullseye, the epicenter, Israel. Here's the point. Israel was to be a light to the nations. If you were to travel in that day, you would travel through Israel, specifically Jerusalem. It connected Asia, Africa, and Europe. And it was to be as such a light to those nations. And now these nations are passing by this city, and they're going, whoa, what in the world happened? Why is their God, notice their God, doing this to them? Because they've forsaken their God. They've forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God, and they have worshiped other gods and served them. And it's coming from these Gentile nations. Why is this in our Bibles? Here's what I'm thinking. God's still going to be glorified in the eyes of the people who are watching our lives like with Israel then, either way, they're still going to look at our lives and they're going to give glory to God. This is not God's fault. God is not to blame, they're to blame. God has not forsaken them, they have forsaken God. Did you catch that? These are Gentile nations. Let's superimpose the template of our day by way of application. These are the non-believers. Could you imagine a verse 8 and a verse 9 in our lives said of us, why is this happening to them? Oh, because they have forsaken God. God will never leave them or forsake them. But God says, if you forsake me, I'm not going to force myself on you. I'll forsake you. That's why they've gone after other gods. In other words, they brought this on themselves. They have only themselves to blame. The blame for this cannot be laid on the Lord. This is on them. 
And it's the Gentile nation saying this. It's the non-believer saying this of the believer. Why? Answer, because. They, not God, they. This is just. God is just. God is righteous. God is fair. They're the ones that have brought this on themselves. And we're told why. I think we would do well. Hey, you're not going to be a light, a witness for me to the non-believers slash Gentile nations. It's not on me. They're still going to glorify me. Notice the Lord, their God, they're acknowledging that the Lord is God. They're just not acknowledging that the Lord is their God, but they are acknowledging that He is God. I'm getting so convicted right now, we're going to move on to verse 10. Oh, the Apostle Paul says that we're living epistles, we're living letters. People read the letters of our Christian lives. What do they read when they read the letter of my life? What do they see when they witness my life? Verse 10, weep not for the dead, nor bemoan him. Weep bitterly for him who goes away, for he shall return no more nor see his native country. For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah his father, who went from this place, he shall not return here anymore. But, verse 12, he shall die in the place where they have led him captive, and shall see this land no more. Okay. What's going on here? Well, for those of you that were with us in our study through Second Kings, this was a prophecy actually, and it was fulfilled exactly, not 99.999%, 100%, exactly as God said it would be. And these were evil kings who did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And God is pronouncing judgment on them, specifically this evil king Shalom, who came from a good king, Josiah. Josiah was one of only nine good kings of whom it was said they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and Josiah was one of them. Now we've talked about this, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it is worthy of mentioning, I think at the very least, evil kings come from good kings and vice versa. I mean Josiah was a good king, his sons evil. And conversely, you had evil kings who had sons who would become kings, and they were good kings. What gives? Well, that should give every parent some comfort. You can flip that whatever side you want, but it gives me great comfort. Anyway, that's just uh, my own uh, personal uh, problem, but we'll move on. So this is not in chronological order, by the way. This is the judgment that is pronounced on this son of King Josiah. His name is Shalom, also known as Jehoahaz. And he is a king, but this judgment is pronounced on him. And Jeremiah is telling them, don't weep for him. Don't mourn for him. Mourn for his son because of what's going to happen to him. And it gets worse, verse 13. Woe to him 
who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work. In other words, they take advantage of these workers. So if you have an employer that is not paying you fairly, cursed be him. No, that's, well, in a way it kind of is, but that's the judgment now. You've taken advantage of them. And here again, why is this in my Bible? Because God wants you to know that He knows. I see everything that's happening. He didn't pay me. They're taking advantage of me. I know. I see everything. I'll take care of it. I know, I see, I care, and I'm going to take care of this. So gives him nothing for his work, who says, I will build myself a white house with spacious chambers and cut out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Shall you reign, verse 15, because you enclose yourself in cedar? That's presumptuous. Did not your father, speaking of Josiah, a good king, eat and drink and do justice and righteousness, then it was well with him? Micah 6, 8, you know it. What does the Lord require of you, O man, that you do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly? Josiah did, and it went well with him, but you, you're reigning in unrighteousness and wickedness. Verse 16, again speaking of Josiah, your father, your dad, he judged the cause, and I want you to listen very carefully, of the poor and needy. Stop right there. Oh, God cares about the poor and needy? You better believe it. The fatherless, the widow, does that sound a little bit familiar, like James, that we just studied through? Yes, it does, and yes, it should. He judged the cause, again speaking of Josiah, of the poor and needy, then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord? Yet, verse 17, your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. Now, this speaks to a powerful principle replete throughout Scripture concerning leaders being measured by how they treat people who can't do anything in return. Let me say the same thing in a different way. When it comes to the poor and the needy, this is the measure, this is the gauge, this is the litmus test. We're going to see another one here in a moment coming up. But the measure of the godliness of a leader, or a Christian for that matter, is how they treat people who can do nothing for them in return. Namely the poor, the needy. Proverbs, I want to say 19.11, it says, The one who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Jesus said, whoever does this for the least of these, does it for me. The Lord takes notice. You're doing this for me. And by the way, you're lending to the Lord? I don't think so. The Lord is no debtor to no man. 
You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to this study in the Word of God. As you continue to learn from the book of Jeremiah with Pastor J.D., don't discount the things you're hearing. God may be speaking to you individually today through Scripture. We encourage you to keep reading on your own, too, to further understand what you've heard in this edition. If you're not already part of a local church that you call home, we encourage you to find one and attend regularly. This only helps you grow in your relationship with God and others. If you don't have a church home, come be a part of ours. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions, to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can also access more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like the one you heard today, including his weekly prophecy updates. In addition to that, you may be interested in the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This is a simple guide to understanding the good news of salvation in Jesus. As we continue to learn from the book of Jeremiah together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know what those prayer requests might be? Just fill out the contact form under the About tab at calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Or come find us on social media. There are links to our Twitter and Instagram pages on our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for listening to this edition of In Spirit and Truth. Holy me true.